want to continue in my series, which is entitled, What Would Jesus Say? It's a great title because it's a great concept. Many of us are familiar with WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? But God is not just concerned about our actions. He's concerned about what we say, because very often what we say directs our actions. And in turn, what we say comes out of our heart. This issue of excellence in communication, good quality Christian communication, sooner or later becomes a character issue. If we guard our lips, it's because we've guarded our hearts. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is going on in here is going to come out there. So we have to guard our thinking and guard our hearts and ask God constantly to renew us on the inside, particularly in those areas where we have difficulty. Perhaps it's we've been injured, or maybe we've been offended, or maybe people have hurt us with their words. And uh, all this builds up on the inside, and sooner or later it comes out in angry talk, accusatory talk, bitterness, and we have to have a real conscience about what we say. And uh, last week we began this topic, and next week... Uh, if all goes to plan, we'll conclude it, and we'll be going to the book of James, which I uh, built up to James, because James is the most devastating of them all when it comes to nailing this issue of uh, the kind of speech that will glorify God. And it's so important that the kind of things that come out of our mouth are the greatest indicator of what's going on in our hearts, the greatest indicator of what's happening to us spiritually and uh, in our relationship with others. In fact, when we are glorifying God with our mouth, I believe it's the pinnacle of holiness. It's the pinnacle of a Christ-like life. Therefore, today I'm encouraging you to make a renewed commitment to excel in the area of speech, in Christian communication. Now, I'm going to focus on verbal communication, but we know that uh, communication happens at so many different levels. There's both verbal and nonverbal, what the kind of way we communicate. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. You just roll your eyes, and everybody knows well, that there's, some, what, there's an issue there. But it's not just nonverbal communication that comes out in body language and in facial expression. Also, we have uh, paraverbal language. In other words, it's the tone of voice that you use, your emphasis, and, and uh, the pace at which you speak. And, and we communicate far more through these nonverbal means than actually we do verbally. But we're going to focus on good quality verbal communication today. And if you want to know more about some of those other topics, follow closely our Bible school curriculum in the evenings. We're still running now the, the Compassionate Communications coming to and end that course very soon, or it'll come back again. Then we have effective communication, creative communication, and cross-cultural communication. So we are very conscious of the need to be good communicators. So I'm going to just throw out some positives today, the kind of things that we need to be focusing on in order to honor God in the way that we speak and the way we communicate verbally. And I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 through to verse 18, and this was the passage of Scripture that really springboarded me into this topic. But I was preparing a number of weeks ago, 
a message which was talking about the, the, the miracle of the new covenant, the great new covenant that God has given us. He's taken away our heart of flesh, a heart of stone rather, and given us a soft, sensitive heart. And, and, and how the first evidence of this is what we say, that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, that's the principle I was looking at. And then I was dealing with this passage in the section that I'm not going to read today, when God affirms that all the promises are yes and amen in Christ. And it's he who says yes in Christ, and we join in with that verbal commitment, that verbal agreement, amen, to the word of God. And so we match God's yes with the strong amen as the Holy Spirit takes charge of what we say. And we agree in our heart and agree with our words with the word of God. That's where I was, but when I was preparing for that message, I led into it in the context of that verse, uh, this passage which struck me. It really struck me very, very powerfully how the Apostle Paul introduces the fact that God is faithful to his word when he has to explain that maybe Paul was being criticized for not being faithful to his own word. And so he makes the very strong spiritual point. So let's go back to that point. And he says, in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. So what he's saying here is that you know that I promised to come to you, to visit you before now. But I changed my mind. I didn't do what I said I was going to do. And that needs an explanation. This in itself is a powerful revelation because people today and even Christians don't care anything about their word. Breaking their word is an easy thing to do. The word is given easily, broken easily, no explanation, no excuse, because we haven't learned the principle that if God is faithful to what he says, we must be faithful to what we say. It's men and women of the world who break their word easily. Christians, we should never break our word easily. There may be times, like in Paul's experience, when we have to. Circumstances are beyond our control, and we have to break our word. But it always requires an explanation. I'm sorry I can't do what I promised to do, but here are the reasons, and I really am sorry about that. We have a conscience about being faithful to our word. And so Paul goes on to say, I wanted to have a second chance to come to visit you, verse 16, to pass by way of you to Macedonia and come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? And when he planned it, he'd promised it. It wasn't just a plan he made, he'd promised it. He said, when I planned this, was I doing it lightly, just saying one thing, but not really honoring my word. And it goes on to say, or the things I plan, or do I plan according to the flesh? In other words, just like men and women of the world, my word means nothing. A Christian's word should be his or her bond. Can I have an amen in the house? Amen. We need to be, have a conscience about that. And he said, uh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. Not just yes, but yes, yes. Yes, yes, casual. Yes, 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 of course I'll be there. Yes, 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 of course I'll do that. Yes, yes, yes. And actually, our yes, yes becomes very quickly our no, no. And then Paul hits us 
with this wonderful statement, verse 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. He said, I understand that God is faithful to his word. If God was not faithful to his word, we could not be saved. We could not believe that what God says he would fulfill. We could not believe that when God promises something, he doesn't rescind it, he doesn't change his mind as if his word was to be treated lightly. No, God is a faithful God, and the first demonstration of his faithfulness is he is faithful to his word, and so also must we. So we should never be flippant or careless with our words. Not at all. If you're going to glorify God, we want to reflect his faithfulness to his word by our faithfulness to our word. Now, in Jesus' time, there was a complicated system, a way of getting round having to keep your word. And it was a system of oaths. So if you just said it, you didn't have to do it. But if you swore, say, I, I swear by such and such to do it, then it was binding. And even then, it wasn't as simple as that because they had a system of hierarchy. So if you swore by one thing, you kind of, it was a little bit faithful. Swore by something else, it was pretty faithful. And if you swore by this, you couldn't break that word. So they had complicated ways of getting out of doing what they promised to do. And so Jesus teaches into the situation in Matthew 5, verse 37, he says, don't do it. Verse 37, just let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, I'm not going to major too much on this, but it'll be very obvious as we go through that evil speaking, any way in which we abuse what we say, any way in which we dishonor God with our words, ultimately, that goes all the way back to the liar, the father of lies, the evil speaker, and the father of all evil speech, which is the enemy. It really is that serious. So if God is faithful to his word, we must be faithful to ours. And sometimes we seem to have no conscience about this. A Christian can say one thing and do something else and, not, and think nothing of it. And very often, very often, God is blamed. Oh, well, you know, the Lord led me. Uh, uh, yeah, God has led me to do this. And, and then when they change their mind, they say, now God has led me to do something else. And this poor God that we say we are serving is a God who can't make up his own mind, who changes it with every whim and fancy that comes from our own selfishness and our own fleshliness. So never bring God into it. Never blame God when you've broken your word. Sometimes you have to say, and we are human, we have to say, this was my full intention, but let me tell you what happened. And you have a conscience to explain your word. If it, is, if it is being broken. So keeping your word is very, very significant. Today, in our society, you can't believe anything anybody says, generally speaking. Is that not the case? Generally speaking. And we should be exceptional, men and women of excellent communication, so that we speak it and stick to it. And if we made a mistake, we are openly talk about it. So keeping your word. 
Second thing I want to say, we're going to glorify God in the way that we speak and do and say what Jesus said and do that, then our speech must be truthful. Not just true, but full of truth. You know what they ask you to say in court? I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because a lot of people can say, well, what I'm saying was not technically a lie, but I just withheld the key bit of information in order to deceive you and to manipulate you. We don't like it. Now, before I go any further, let me just say, today I'm speaking to probably 100% of, of, the, of the gathered people here as victims. We have all been hurt by what people have said to us at some stage or about us. Is that not right? I think we can't live long on this planet to discover that. Second truth is this. Accepting the fact that if, if we handle this perfectly, that would mean we, we were perfect. All right? So all of us, at one time or another, have sinned with this. So let, let's, let's all take it today that we are speaking as victims and also as perpetrators. Can we accept that today? Because then we're all in the same boat and, and we're looking at including yours truly. We need to hear God again on this. So Ephesians 5 verse 15 is one of the clear verses that we all like to quote. Speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things, into him who is the head, Christ. And this comes in a very long passage in which Paul is talking about the churches, the members of the church being equipped to do the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is to do what Jesus did to build one another up and to, to preach the gospel, extend the faith, and encourage one another. And a key part of this process of building church is speaking the truth in love. Now, some people have no problem when they think about speaking the truth. They say, I'm going to, I just tell it as it is. And they speak the truth. Whoops, what happened there? Sorry. They speak the truth. There's, I tell you, there's so much power in this house today. They speak the truth, but there's no love. And usually, ladies and gentlemen, when somebody comes to say to you, what I'm going to say to you, it's in love. You always get ready because something's coming. They're going to hit you with something. If it genuinely is in love, you usually don't have to say so. And love is about the motivation of your heart. Sometimes you have to say difficult things. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, some people take that, I mean, because we're all brothers and friends here, I have a right to wound you however I choose to wound you because I'm a truth and righteousness person. But I tell you, friends, the balance sometimes is difficult, but it, we must strive towards this, that we communicate truth, speak truth, and to do so out of a motive of love. 
Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Very interesting. We are members of one another. He's using the body analogy. And can you imagine if you were lying to your own body? Not lying to yourself. That's easy to imagine because we're full of deception at times and we lie to ourselves all the time. But imagine this. Let's push this to extreme. So right now, I am going to lie to my body. I'm going to tell my body one thing and do something else. So let me do it. I won't demonstrate it because it's a bit risky. But I want you to imagine it. So I have a chair here. And I tell myself, pull up that chair. And I tell myself, now sit down in that chair. But then I also say, pull the chair out. So I'm working against myself. Every lie that you tell, you are working against yourself. You will experience the negativity that comes from that. So speak the truth. Speak the truth. Truthfulness is a Christian virtue. God is truth. God's word is truth. And we are to speak the truth in love. And by the truth, there's a lot of ways in which people bend the rules here a little bit. So, exaggeration is lying. Minimization is lying. And why would we exaggerate or minimize? It comes from our hearts. Or omitting essential facts which are crucial to our understanding, other people's understanding. And in this way, without ever technically really telling a lie, we can still deceive and put a wrong picture forward. And sometimes there are reasons why we do this. And we'll come to some of those in a moment. Reasons why we do this. It's so important that we guard our hearts. It's the wellspring of life. Because what's going on in here is going to affect what comes out here. So instead of this, the Bible speaks about speaking positive, upbuilding words. That's our motivation. Ephesians 4 verses 29 through to chapter 5 verse 1 says this. Let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth. No corrupt word. What's the word corrupt mean here? It means putrid, rotten. And, and a rotten word speaks about something that's rotten inside. Don't let that happen. And then he, he quickly says the opposite of what, what this is. It talks about how we should go about it. He says, but only what is good. Not rotten, but good, wholesome, nourishing. Positive, encouraging, truthful. What is good, what for? For necessary edification. Now, when it says necessary edification, it means we all need to be built up. We all need encouragement. We have a powerful weapon here, a powerful instrument, that if it is yielded to the Holy Spirit, we can 
actually build one another up, which also means we can tear one another down. How easy it is, and easier, much easier, to tear down than to build up. And I am sometimes embarrassed by the amount of things that I hear of what people say in Christian circles, which is nothing but damaging, destructive, negative talk that tears down. It's easy to criticize. It's hard to build up. But by the grace of God, we can do it. Can I have an amen in the house? So he says, necessary edification. But then it goes on to say, that it may impart grace to the hearers. What amazing power is in this tongue. That if our hearts are full of love and grace and, and we, we speak words which are designed to encourage and build up, we have the power to impart grace. When they listened to Jesus, they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Do people marvel at the gracious words that proceed out of our mouth? That's the question. To say what Jesus said, to be like Jesus in our speech, is always to impart grace. It doesn't mean to say we don't have to have difficult conversations. Sometimes we have to have difficult conversations. There are conflicts and we need to resolve them. There, is, there are issues that need to be confronted. Of course we need to do this, but to do it in such a way as it administers grace to the hearers. Then it goes on to say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. One of the ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit more than any other way is the stuff that comes out of our mouth. Even if we think we are right and justified and everybody else is wrong, our words can grieve the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit who sealed us for the day of redemption. Can you see how negative talk, destructive talk, is the kind of talk that is going to damage you? Not just others, and it will, but damage you. And you don't want that. Then verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Interesting. What he's talking about here is the kind of things that cause people to speak bad, to speak destructively, to speak negatively, and it comes down. When you hear somebody talking negatively, all you're hearing is their problem. Anger, jealousy, unforgiveness, bitterness, and pride. If this is working on the inside of you, you will not be able to control what's coming out of here. It will come out. So get to the bottom of it and say, God, I want this anger. Take this anger away. God, I'm not going to behave in an angry way. God, I don't like this green-eyed monster, this jealousy on the inside of me. God, I will speak gracious words, forgiving words. I will be healed from those wounds and bitterness won't pour out of my mouth. I, I will climb down from my high elevated position of pride and self-exaltation and I will ask God for words of humility. Words that tear down come from this and words that build up come from the Spirit of God. Then the Bible speaks about such a thing as I'm going to call wholesome talk. 
wholesome talk. Healthy, wholesome talk. And this is, as the Bible says, speech seasoned with salt. Have you ever heard the expression, I'm going to wash your mouth out with salt? Remember that? Don't try it at home. people. And it used to be a punishment way, way back in olden days for kids and who'd spoken badly. You wash your mouth out with salt. Now then, salt, amongst other things, is an antiseptic. And I think your mouth will be better filled with salt than insult, all right? But you can cleanse your mouth out with a good mouthwash, and oral hygiene is very significant, as all dentists will let us know. But you can wash your mouth out with the best antiseptic that is on the market, but your mouth can still be filled with poison if your tongue is not yielded to the Holy Spirit. So Colossians 4 verse 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, good, wholesome, no microbes, no bacteria, no poison with it. And then he says that you may know how you ought to answer each one. There are times when we have to answer. And, and there is stuff and happens and, and, and we can't just ignore it. We can't just say, I'm not going to say anything. Sometimes we have to say something. But when we speak, even in difficult situations, we do so with fear of God, with this Holy Spirit saltiness so that our words are pure and they're not unclean. Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 7. But, and by the way, this passage is one of the most devastating passages in the New Testament, describing Christians. Paul has to write to them and say, stop doing this stuff. It's not right. Come on. And many of these things in these verses are quoted by Christians against other Christians, particularly the things that, the kind of sins that we like to discover and condemn in other people. But in doing that, are we not just as guilty, maybe even more guilty? Let's read, let's see. Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 7. But fornication, and that is sexual immorality, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Isn't it interesting? God says, this, this is what you should use this for. You should use it for giving God thanks, giving God praise, giving God glory, building one another up. And he, he lists these things, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. And I, I, it's very interesting, isn't it? How that some people who would use their tongue to point the finger at those who have fallen into sexual immorality or whose lives are in a mess and start using this tongue to start bad-talking them. And what are we doing when we do that? What are we doing? 
we are saying we are better than those people. And yet the very words that come out of their mouths as they justify themselves and exalt themselves about others who have truly sinned, we, when we do that, are setting ourselves above them, saying we're better than them. And actually, because of that, we are even more guilty. That's in my view. Even more guilty. Because we are making ourselves superior. And he says, know this, verse 5, no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Strong words. What a warning. As people who have come to know Jesus Christ as king, you can forfeit your inheritance in the kingdom of God. As a born-again believer on your way to heaven, you can forfeit your inheritance simply by this. Oh, Father, help us. Help us, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon them, the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. What's he talking about here? Foul mouth, swearing, unsavory speech, negative, critical, destructive speech. In fact, Jesus says that the wrong way that you can speak to your brother or about your brother or against your brother in God's eyes is the same as the sin of murder. How many people have been killed not by bombs or bullets but by character assassination? I think it is an appalling thing and I find this amongst the ministry. I find this time and time again ministers are not guiltless when it comes to throwing forth accusations. But there is not one minister that I know that is doing anything significant for God that is not having to face constantly false accusations, character assassinations, and attacks that come from the evil one. And in fact, it comes from the evil one, but mostly it is communicated by Christians. The devil goes on holiday and we do his work for him devil, you take a break. I'll take over for a while. I'll do all the accusation. I'll do all the slander. I will throw the mud, because when I throw mud, they get dirty. Hallelujah. Have you ever heard about that? The old English expression, when you throw mud, it sticks. You've heard that one? All right. Well, it's more than sticks. What happens? If somebody was to throw mud at you today, what will happen to you and to your appearance in the eyes of other people. You will be dirty. But I haven't done anything. Too late. And the person who's got mud on their hands, and from what I said earlier, we could probably say blood on their hands, got the hands behind the back, is joining in in the accusation, look how dirty that person is. They're not dirty. They're only dirty because you've thrown mud at them. Let it not be amongst God's people. Can I have an amen? Have an amen. Yes, give Jesus a praise. So it's not just what we say, it's what we talk about as well. There, there, there are is stuff that we as Christians are not to talk about. Did you know that? There's appropriate subject matter. And there's certain things we just don't talk about. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 20. Stuff that's not our business. 
for I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. What he's saying is by careful correspondence, he's wanting to resolve a problem. Because he doesn't want to have to come there and read the riot act. He doesn't want to have to come there and say, guys, now I've got to sort you out. He is writing letters to encourage them to sort these things out. Let all our communication be goal-orientated and solution-orientated, not adding to the problem. Something happens today, oh, it's so difficult. I thank God for all the means of communication that are available today. Texts, various methods of communicating social media, and emails, emails. And we have so much access to people through their emails. And something happens to some people when they sit behind a computer. Suddenly, no more Mr. Nice Guy. There they are, and they just use these keyboards as a way of venting their spleen and shooting off an email, which if they'd stopped and prayed for five minutes would never have been sent. Never. It's like people who are perfectly polite when they're walking down the street on the pavement, but get them behind a car and they turn into a monster. There's a personality change for Dr. Jekyll becomes Mr. H no, Mr. Hyde becomes Dr. Jekyll. They grow fangs, they grow hair on their face, and you don't even recognize them. Why? Because, you see, they feel they're protected by this metal shield called a motor car. And, and, and because of that, they have become so rude and so dangerous. And yet, walking down the street, they're very, very nice people. And it's the same with emails. When there's an email, it's one-sided communication. You don't have to face the person's reaction if you were speaking this to, 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 to their face. It's cowardly communication. Sit down with the person and let them stop. You say, actually, it's not like that. No, I don't agree with that. Get some interaction. But one-sided communication is a, is a method by which people vent their spleen in the most irresponsible fashion. God help us. I'm so grateful for email and, and, and all this stuff. But let's not be drawn into this worldly method of communication. So Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20, he says, you may not find me as I, you want me to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. So then he says, I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, Factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Whew. Whew. I'll be glad when this series is over. Next week's the last week. But what a lot of tough stuff. And, and all that is happening here in people's hearts. It says, I fear... So let's deal with it and deal with it ahead of time so when I come we can have a better time together. Deal with it, he says. Two words there I want to pick up. Slander and gossip. Slander is when you say something about somebody that is negative and it's not based in fact or it's unproven. Slander. 
I can't believe sometimes the amount of things that Christians pass on to other Christians which are simply not true. If you've ever been accused of anything you haven't done or haven't said, if you've been falsely accused, it hurts. How many people have ever been falsely accused? That's slander. But gossip is a, is a different version of the same thing. Now, the word gossip, I've got to go to the NIV that uses the word gossip. Uh, New King James uses another word, but it is gossip. So, uh, because this word is misunderstood, I went back to the dictionary. What is gossip? Idle talk or rumor, especially about the personal or private affairs of others. So in other words, you are sticking your nose in to somebody else's business where you have no business to be saying that stuff or listening to that stuff. All right? This is the limit. There's a boundary here. There's boundaries in our speech. Then another dictionary says casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people. Somebody said that somebody said that somebody said that somebody said. And you never know who was the first that somebody said. You know, never get to that. And you go back down the line and say, I heard you said this to that person. No, I didn't say that. And they'll deny it straight away. But in the meantime, this poison is spread. This rumor is spread. And it usually is gossip involving details that are not confirmed true and that are none of your business. Keep this in your own business. Now, there are times dear friends, when we have to step in to private issues. Yes, there are. But that's not everybody's right to do everything. One of the things that we like in our cell ministry is building a, a group of people who learn to trust one another and who can open up their hearts and talk about their deepest needs and longings and problems and even indeed the, the issues in their life where they are not succeeding in pleasing God, and to know that that won't be gossiped about. What a tragedy. That that's very hard to find. I was speaking to somebody, I said, why didn't you ever say anything? He said, I couldn't find one person who I trusted. Why, are you ashamed? No, I wanted to talk about it, but... I know from past experience, they told me, that the things that I say, even to the best of my Christian friends, in confidence, don't stay there. And when we do that, people just close up and the problems go on. So, set boundaries in your speech. Don't accept when people start talking about others behind their back. Don't accept it. It's not godly. Don't accept gossip or rumors about other people's private lives. Don't just accept it. That belongs in the gossip columns of this world. Even there, God will judge it. Let it not so be amongst us, brothers and sisters, I implore you in Jesus' name. Slander, listening to and spreading false, unproven rumors. Now, why is it that we, and I talk about all of us, why is it that we love gossip so much? What is happening here? 
I thank God that the Bible is honest. <laughs> Proverbs 18, verse 8. Listen to this. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to, the, to a man's, and a woman's, a man's inmost parts. There's something so tasty, tasty. Oh, look at tasty gossip. Do you want to add? Do you want to add? Oh, really? Oh, mmm, mmm. Have some more. The, the, these are like those chocolates that you get in a box. And you say, I'm just going to have one. But one leads to another and another and another. And you're left with that sick feeling on the inside. Gossip, because, and you know, we're, we're, there's something about us that loves gossip. We like to be in on it. And especially if it's about us or somebody else. I mean, uh, years ago, when I was much younger and not as holy as I am today, I went on a Christian camp, and uh, the trouble is with city people, and they go to a, to a camp, they, they forget that the walls of the tent are very thin. thin. Things that you can say in a quiet voice are almost amplified that the whole of the campground can hear. Anyway, there am I, lying in my bed, thinking of Jesus, in my little tent, tabernacle of joy, Jesus. And then I hear a conversation and it started like this. Oh, did you meet that Colin Dye today? <laughs> oh, yes. I met him. Well, what did you think? Not much. No, not very spiritual, is he? Now, I'm going to stop right there because here's what I'd like you to think I did. I, I would like you to think that I said, Hi, guys, Colin's here. In other words, you know, careful. People are listening, even the person you're talking about. That's what I like you to think I did. Anyway, moving on to the next verse. <laughs> if there's any information that's not intended for you, and, and, and you, you find it, wow, doesn't it make fascinating reading? Doesn't it make fascinating listening? Because there's this, we've got to accept what it is. It's nothing but flesh, ladies and gentlemen. And, and we've got to accept that we like a good, a good story. We like that. We like that. Why? Because we're sinful on the inside. Let Jesus help us with that. Let's have integrity. Private information, private communication, meant between individuals, don't get in the middle of that. Let them carry on with their stupidity. Don't be party to it. Verse 20, uh, Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, and you'll all, you'll all feel empathy with this point, a gossip betrays a confidence. Do you like gossipers now? Do you like gossiping now? It betrays a confidence. You've sat down and you've shared something about your life, something personal, something intimate, that you needed to talk about it and somebody to listen and for you to pray together and maybe they even help you with it and you do that in good faith and next week it is published in the Revival Times. Well, not quite as bad as that. It might well have been. 
published all over the place, and everybody's talking about it, and your trust, your confidence is broken. It hurts. It's ungodly. Don't participate in it. And here's a warning. The next part of the verse says, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. Or a woman. The Bible says man here, but I'm sure women are also included. A person who talks too much and is so dangerous and it's flattering because they're sharing something with you and they're pretending that you're their friend and they're talking to you about somebody else who's not present. It's before you listen to any of that stuff, remember, as soon as that person has finished talking to you about somebody else, they're going to go to somebody else and talk about you. Avoid them. Cut it off. Say, I will not listen to this stuff. Proverbs 16, verse 28. And here's, here's the worst. A perverse man stirs up dissension. And a gossip separates friends. How destructive this is. Whole ministries, churches, people's reputations. The en this is the enemy's business. It's not our business. We should be working against the enemy, not working for the enemy. Gossip separates close friends. So what do we do? Proverbs 26, verse 20 says, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. We have a choice. Either we can pour water on the fire and stop it, or we can feed it. And just by listening, you're encouraging that person and you're placing wood on the fire. What would Jesus say? Very good question. When you look at the life of Jesus, he knew how to say some very strong things, didn't he? His speech was always controlled by the Father. The words that I speak are not my words, but they are my Father's words. Totally under the control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, like, whenever we talk about Jesus and being like Jesus, remember, he, he is he's way up there. We have so much to learn. So, in this message and all messages, we, we set forth the example. The person whom we are to become like, and, and, and as far as we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, today we take one more step closer to him, to be like him. Because this example of Jesus, without the help of the Holy Spirit, is impossible. It's unattainable. As we shall see next week, James says, you've got an untamable tongue. Not just those who are evil speakers, but all of us. We have an untamable tongue. It can only be tamed by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit who works in our hearts and fills us with his love and fills us with our mouth with good things, good things to give to other people. And even when we have to 
say difficult things. When we have to bring confrontation, Jesus was not afraid of confrontation. But he did it in the right way, always honoring to God. So, what would Jesus say? He would say, my words are not my own, but they are the words from my Father. And for us, that is a testable claim. It's testable because the Father's words are here, showing us what is true and what is not true, and showing us how we can judge a standard that we can apply to our speech. Just a few verses today, and this topic is throughout the whole of the Bible, how we can use our tongue to glorify God, to bless one another, and to communicate grace to everyone that hears. God, help us by the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father, wow. Sometimes, Lord, there are truths that come to us from your word that we find uncomfortable. And we thank you for that level of discomfort today. Because we've received the miracle of the new birth a new heart, a heart that genuinely longs for God, a heart that wants to move closer and closer to God, and we thank you for this gift of the tongue, that which can set the course of our lives, that which can agree with the written, declared Word of God, so that God's Word in our mouth is as powerful as His Word in His own mouth. But, oh, Father, how easy it is because of our weaknesses and because of the unresolved issues and hurts and angers and disappointments and offenses and bitternesses and confusion of our own heart. How sometimes and so e easily we can slip into this kind of demonic type talking. We want to avoid it, Lord. Forgive us. Help us, and we say, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our God and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name. Once more, give Jesus a big praise. God bless you.